Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being with us today. All of you who are worshiping with us online, we welcome you to Sugar Creek today. And for all of our campuses that are a part of the service, yay God for you. Tonight is a special God and country celebration. People are going to be arriving about 5.30 and it'll be a lot of fun. And then the service at 6.30. And then after that, food and fun for all the way to 9 o'clock. It's going to be a great time. Come tonight and it will be a wonderful time to have all of Sugar Creek and all of our friends and guests with us tonight. Henry Ford was obviously the guy who invented the Ford automobile and the company and all of that. It's actually amazing what he did. He actually transformed a country. He didn't just create an automobile. He changed America, and not just America, actually other countries too. The reason is because in the beginning of the 1900s, when the car began to emerge, only the very wealthy people in the world could afford an automobile. Everybody else was on horse and buggy and all of that. But Henry Ford's goal, his dream, was to create an automobile that was so cheaply done but reliable, but so inexpensively produced and with what he invented as the assembly line. To be able to create an automobile that every family could very easily afford. And that is exactly what he did. The reason that we're in cars today, the reason that America has all these roads today is simply because of the dream of Henry Ford. It is amazing the impact of one man's life and the impact that he made in this nation. Now, he said this. He said that a weakness of all human beings is trying to do too many things at once. Don't we all have it? I I certainly do. A weakness of all human beings is trying to do too many things at once. The key to life is being focused on the most important things. And I want to talk to you about that very thing this morning. We're beginning a new series entitled Power Living. We're going to look at five key ideas that could literally change your life. Five key things that if these things began to line up with God's word, it is amazing the surge you will experience in your life, the change that you will see happen in your life over the next five weeks as we look at these five key ideas called power living. And this morning, I wanna talk to you about the first one, the idea of a focused life. Now, all the series is going to come from one key verse in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. God never intended for you to live your life in fear. He never intended fear to be the default of your life. Oh, anything new that happens, I'm scared to death. He didn't expect that. He didn't want that. He doesn't want weakness to be who you are or fear to be who you are. He wants you to be powerful. It's what he intended in your life and mine, and we can be. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. You take a light beam and you focus that light beam. You narrow that beam. You can create a laser that can cut 
through metal. But if you diffuse it, it doesn't lose its value. The only reason we can see each other today is because of diffused light. But the cutting edge has been lost. It's the cutting edge in your life that will separate you from the others. It will be the cutting edge of your life that will cause you to live a powerful life. And that is what I want us to talk about today. One of the greatest passages in the Bible, one of the passages I've loved for so many years that has been so much a part of the default that I turn to in my own personal life is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we are encompassed by such a crowd of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily engages or or, uh, um, besets us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. There is so much in these two verses, so much of what these two verses can do to bless us and help us. They talk about focus. They talk about focusing on the most important goals. So what is that? If we're going to live a focused life, we gotta pursue the most important goals. So if you take all of the Bible and sort of distill it down to the goals, it's probably going to be more than four goals, but there are going to be four key goals. Maybe you can find a fifth or sixth, but there are gonna be four key goals that will emerge that God desires in our life. The first goal is simply this. God wants us to know him. Jesus, in the last night before he was crucified, was there praying. John records the prayer in John chapter 17. He is praying. He is anticipating the coming of the guards and going through all of the trials and then being crucified on the cross. But in the wrap-up of his life, as he's praying to his heavenly Father, in John chapter 17, verse 3, he says, and this is eternal life, that they might know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. God didn't send his son to create a new religion. He didn't want religion. He wanted a relationship. He wanted us to know him. But it's amazing to me how many religions talk about God being so far and so other that we can't possibly know him when Jesus said the exact opposite, that God is so near and so desirous that we know him and have relationship with him. In fact, the word that Jesus uses that's translated know, to know God, is a word that means to know experientially, not know about him. I can read the Bible and know about him. It is to know experientially that I know him. I can know his mind. I can know his heart. I can know his presence in my life. I can know him with me, and that is part of the goal that God has for every one of us, to come to know him and love him and be one with him, 
to experience his presence in our lives for him to become the power of our life. One of the great goals that God has for you is for you to come to know him experientially. There's a second goal, and that is that God wants us to experience our best life. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10. I have come that you might have life and life in all of its fullness. I want your best life. Now, there is a lot of expressions of life that all of us can live, but he came that we might have the greatest expression, the best of life, that we might know that life in our life. He wants us to understand family, to come to realize how important family is. Maybe it's our birth family, our adopted family, but to understand family, the relationship with our siblings, the relationship with our parents, with our children, that we might know life. And one of the great important things of life is family, to come to understand and love family. Actually, he also came that we might understand then the family we give birth to. That we would take that family we now create and learn how to love another person. Our wife, our, our husband, to, to come to learn to love that human being with all of our heart and soul. And what it means to actually give ourselves to another person. And to be faithful and true to that person. And then to love our children. What does that mean? That deepness of love. And to love our parents. The depth of love that we experience through family. He intended for us to learn what it means to go to school and to make the most of it. I, I know we, we, it's forced upon us as little kids and, 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 the, and they'd make us take tests and reading assignments and all that. But there is a moment in time that it is hopeful that you and I will learn and understand how valuable this moment is in our life. How to make the most of it and then go beyond college and beyond and then career. Career is not intended just to be experienced and, 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 and somehow get through. It's not just to earn a paycheck. It, it, it's to take advantage of our skills and take advantage and push us further than we ever dreamed we could go. It's to take those things that God has put inside of us and benefit others in the midst of earning the paycheck. It's to make the most of our life. It's, it's not just to wake up in the morning and go to bed at night. It's to live life in all of its fullness. He's intended us to learn how to laugh and how to be joyful and how to love life and how to be responsible and how to be honorable and to be able to look at ourselves in the mirror and respect what we see. To live life not to endure it, to live it in all its fullness. It's one of the goals of God in our life. One of the goals that God has in our life is that he wants us to accomplish a mission for him. 
Look at that prayer that Jesus was praying just before they came and arrested him. And look at verse 4, the very next verse in John chapter 17. I have brought you glory. He's praying to his heavenly Father. I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. What's the mission God gave to you? Could you say this, that God, I have completed the work you gave me to do. Look, for me, it's easy. He called me to be a pastor. I clearly know the mission. And I love it, and I give myself to it. So, But Mark, it's not as easy. Maybe it actually is. I've had so many people that have said to me, especially senior adults, look, I'm in the last few chapters of my life, and I got a mission? I don't even know if I've accomplished it. I don't even know that I know the mission. Yeah, it's not that God would give us a mission and then hide it from us. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about prayer? And I, my, my goal on that Sunday was to talk about how we can pray the will of God. How we can know the will of God and pray the will of God because that's the most powerful prayer we could ever pray. And, and one of the things that I learned a few decades ago that took me by surprise in, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse four, uh, 4 and 5, he talks about walking a path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. And what I came to understand is that, that really the idea of living out the will of God is to get on the path. Just to begin to follow him and love him. What happens when we're on the path, when we're trusting God we're, instead of others? We're trusting the Lord. We're following him. We're on the path. And on this path, God begins to direct our life in ways we don't even know. Uh, God opens doors. He closes doors. He opens windows and opportunities for us. And he closes other things that would have harmed us. And he rescues us from them. And we encounter people along the path. It is along the path we are actually living out the mission of God. He brings people into our lives. Some are total strangers. And he uses us to make an impact in their life, lead them to Christ, to, to support some missionary, to, to support your church, to, to be involved in people's lives along the path. I ordered something from Amazon this week, and, and it came on my day off. Yay, God, for that, and I was there, and it was heavy. And so when it arrived, I was kind of looking for the guy, and there he was, and he, he uh, went to the back of his truck, he got it, and hoisted it up on his shoulder, and, and started walking. So I met him, I went outside, met him there, and I said to him, hey, give it to me, it's fine, I can carry that. And he said, oh, no, no, I'm not gonna do that. I got it up here right now, it's okay, I'm gonna take it to wherever you want. And I said, well, yeah, but I need it in the backyard. I mean, it's a long way around. He said, I don't care, that's fine, I'm glad to do it. As we were walking, I said to him, wow, I mean, I, you're, I can't believe you're doing this. You know what he said to me? He said, you know, I've made it a, a, a goal every single day that I will encounter somebody that needs me to take, go an extra mile, me to do something beyond the expected. 
And he said, every single day, I look for somebody that I can do that for, and today it's you. I thought, I said to him, you're amazing. You know what, when he left, I went online, or it says, you know, evaluate the delivery guy. I mean, I gave him every trophy that was there. I was saying how great he was. He gets it. That part of the mission is to, to be kind to other people and strangers and, and helping them and go the extra mile. To care for people who are different, who think differently, who have different morals than we do and have different lifestyles than we do, but to be, care, be careful to love them and be, and be kind to them. To reach out and go beyond and do what beyond what is expected. All these things are walking the path that Jesus laid out for us. And as we do, every day of our life, we're fulfilling the mission that he has given us to accomplish. We talk about a goal as our church to love and lead all people, all people to life-changing Christ. But that's not just a goal for the church. It's a goal for us individually. That every day of our life, we're, we're looking for someone we can bless and help and, and help that person to love them and lead them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the mission. There is a fourth goal that he lays out for us, and that is simply to get us ready for heaven. God wants to prepare us for heaven. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 says, and this was his purpose that when the time is right, he will gather all of us together to be with him in Christ forever. God has a plan for this world. It doesn't matter what leaders say, what, do what. They, they cannot alter the plan. There is a plan that God has where he is taking this world and his plan will be accomplished. He's got a plan for you and me. He wants to get us ready for heaven, and all of our life is in preparation. Life is preparation for eternity. We were made to be with God forever. There may be other goals than these, but these four goals for sure, God is in the process of working out in our life to know him, to live life to its fullest to accomplish this mission along the path of our life and get us ready. For well, that time, we will be with him forever. And all of the Bible talks about this as being a race. All of life is to be thought of as a race to run. I mean, look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Let's lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Listen to what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way that you win the prize. Paul said about himself in Acts 20, verse 24, I consider my life not worth nothing if only I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus gave me. It's a race, but it's not a 100-yard dash. No, life is a marathon. It, it's a cross-country race. Life is to look 
to look at the long term, to look at the bigger picture, and to run with that in mind. Uh, my oldest grandson is uh, Jude, and uh, he's going to high school next year. I begged him to please stop growing. Please stop getting old. I begged him. I don't know how many times he won't listen. And now he is going to high school next year. He's played all the sports, uh, soccer and baseball and basketball and all that sort of thing. But the last, the last year or so, he sort of zeroed in on tennis. He, he's be, becoming an amazing tennis player. I, I, I'm, I'm really impressed with how he's grown in that. And cross-country. Why cross-country? Who wants to run cross-country? They run a 1,000 miles. It's like forever. I can't believe But he loves to run. And so what happens is, I've seen him, he, there's just a bunch, maybe 60, 70 guys all, all crowded together, the gun goes off, off they go. Look, if you stumble and fall in a cross-country race, it's no big deal, you just pick yourself back up again, you dust yourself off and keep going. Everybody is all starting together, but something happens. There is a place in which now the goal is separate myself a little bit from the crowd to move a little bit further up and then as you go it's like another another kick in happens and you you move even further up you separate yourself a little bit more i don't know when it is maybe it's uh it's mile 30. I don't know which, where, where it is in the race, but you, you, then you come to a place in which you say, the distance is such and such, and my energy is such and such, and if I kick it in now, it, I, I'm not in a sprint. I am kicking it in now. I am now going to be the best I can, and it takes off. But then when the sees the finish line, it's every bit of energy, every bit of strength, everything they have to get across that finish line. That's cross country. You are in a race that is cross country. You've got to look at the long view, not the short one. So you stumble and you fall. You go through struggles and difficulties. Just pick yourself back up, dust yourself off, and keep going. The race isn't over. You can make the most of your race. If you will pace yourself and then there is some point at which you kick it into another gear. Oh, God, I love you. I want to serve you. I want to give myself to you. And all of a sudden, you up the game. There is a point in time in which you can see the finish line. And that is not a time to coast. That is the time to give it all you have all the way across that finish line. It's a race. You've got to see it, your life, in those terms. Now, how do you win this race? A focused life has as its goal to win. So how do you do it? That is what he is telling us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. So notice how he puts it. He says, first of all, you got to remove all distractions. When you start removing the distractions from your life, all of a sudden there, there's a surge of power because these things have been holding you back. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, let us lay aside every weight 
A weight isn't a sin. It's just something that's, that's weighting you down. It's something that's holding you back. Lay aside every weight and the sin, the sin, that so easily besets us. I didn't know this about lion trainers. I had never thought about a lion trainer, but I realized when I read this story, wow, it's, I see that every time I, uh, uh, when I have seen a guy go into a, a lion's cage. He's got two things. He's got a whip in one hand, and he has a stool in another hand, and the stool has four legs. I've always wondered, what's the stool about? Was he going to push the lion away from him? What is the stool about? He's got a stool in one hand that's got four legs. I didn't understand it. And then I read, I understood. The four legs of the stool cause the lion. He can't help it. He's wired for this. It causes the lion to focus on the four legs so that he cannot focus on the man that entered the cage. It actually paralyzes the attention of the lion. That's why the legs are pointed at him. He sees the four legs. Now he has no choice. The way he's wired, he's got to focus on those four legs. You better hold on to that stool. Because if he knocks it out of your hand, the only thing you got left is a whip and to run out of that cage as fast as you can. So my question is, what's paralyzing your attention? Is it a wrong relationship? And you know that relationship is bringing you down. You know it. Is it an attitude? Are you living with an attitude? Maybe negative, critical, never sees the good things. Is it an attitude that is a weight that is weighting you down? I'm just looking for something that's wrong. What is the weight? Is it pride? I'm never giving in to this. It's my pride. What is it that is weighting you down? Is it discouragement? Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not get tired of doing what is right for after a while we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged. If we don't get discouraged and give up. I'm telling you that every single one of us in this room has some weights. And he says, lay aside every weight. John Maxwell is just a brilliant guy who really understands human psychology. And he makes this statement. He says, you'll never change your life until you change something you do daily. It's not the big things. It's actually the small things that are weighting you down. The secret of your success is found in your daily routine. So what is it about your daily routine that is becoming a weight that is holding you back? Is it the cell phone? Is it the computer? What is it that is weighting you down? He says to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. I, I got to be honest with you. I, 
I, um, alcohol has never been a uh, temptation for me. I've never drank a drop of it. I don't even know what it tastes like. It's not a temptation. Satan never tempts me with alcohol. But he tempts me because I've got these sins that he knows are my buttons. And you do too. So what are these sins that so easily beset you? Those are the things God is wanting to talk to you about. He is wanting to help you get on the other side because those are the things that are keeping you from a relationship with him. Lay aside every weight and these sins that so easily beset you. There's a second part that he says. You want to be successful in life and living life to its fullness. Stay motivated by remembering the reason and the reward. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. That word patience actually means staying power. And it means enduring joy. It's interesting that if you and I can create, can understand in every bad thing in our life, in every annoying thing in our life, there is hidden and enduring joy. If we could figure out, we could see in what problems that we're facing. Oh, if only we could get on the other side of this problem. But inside that problem, there is actually a joy. There is actually something that could be beneficial to us, that could help us, that could strengthen us if we could just see beyond the annoyance and to see the enduring joy. But we would be able to understand, wait a minute, this is not a negative thing in my life. This is a positive thing in my life. We begin to see the reason for it. It changes everything. One of the ways to not quit when it gets hard is by remembering the reason that we're in this race in the first place. It's to begin looking for reasons inside all the negative things that we experience in our life. And all of a sudden we have patience because we understand there is value in what's going on. The reason and the reward. The reward at the end of the race always keeps us going. It's why we run the race. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25 and 26, all athletes practice strict self-control, and they do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. We're running this race called life for an eternal prize. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I have to tell you something. I can't, I can't even account the numbers of times that I've quoted that verse to me. And I've said to me, no matter what you're facing, have purpose. Mark Hartman, have purpose in every step. It is the purpose in every step that reminds me of the reward, reminds me of the reason, and reminds me of the reward. There are three motivating factors that all of us have. There are some of us that, that uh, uh, are self-motivated. It's an internal motivation. We're sort of pushing ourselves 
on. We, we've got to go. We keep talking that self-talk in our own life, and we keep ourselves moving. There is an external kind of motivation where other people are cheering us on, wherefore, seeing we're encompassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, and we are. There are people in our life that are cheering us on, an external kind of motivation, and there is an eternal motivation. And we need all three. Uh, we, we need all three. We need ourselves helping us. Keep going. You're running the race. Keep doing it. I, I see, I've seen for all these years, I've seen pastors who turn 60 years of age and then they start coasting. In five years, when I turn 60, I am never going to coast. Never, never going to coast. God called us to do our best, to work our hardest, to, to make, to, to, to do the will of God and to give it everything we have. He never called us to coast. Give it everything we have. There is an internal motivation. There's cheerleaders and we need them and there is the remembrance of the eternal motivation. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed and broken. We are perplexed, but we don't give up and quit. We are hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, and we get back up, and we keep going. We will never give up, for our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long. Quite small? Do you know what my troubles are? You'd never call my troubles small. Well, do you know what Paul's troubles were? He was being stoned to death. He died one time by a stoning, but he was stoned by other events. He was shipwrecked several times. He was beaten and whipped to the edge of his life. He was in prison for years. I don't call those small either, but he calls them small. Why? For our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long because they produce great glory that will last forever. There's an enduring joy to even the worst things that happen in our life. So we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. Rather, we look forward to what we have not yet seen. For the troubles we see will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. It's all perspective. It's all perspective. It's understanding what this life is, where it is headed. It is understanding the reward at the end. I won't quit. I won't slow down. I will give it everything I've got. Here is the last thing in the verse. Relying on Christ, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, our race we're running, we win when we keep our eyes on Jesus. Who is it we're seeing when we're keeping our eyes on Jesus. We're seeing the author of our faith. The only reason that we've got any faith is Jesus. The only reason that we have any hope is Jesus. He is the author of our faith, but he's not just the author, he's the finisher of our faith. He never will leave us. 
You and I can so screw up. You and I can get so crossways. And there he is. We might give up on him, but he will never give up on us. And one day we will open our eyes and we will see the truth. And there he is. He won't ever give up on you. He is the author and he's the finisher. Despising the shame. He endured the cross and he despised the shame. He endured the cross, beaten, whipped. And there was a part about the cross that you and I in this culture in this day don't understand, but in first century they did. It was shameful to be crucified on a cross. There was such shame. He didn't want to. He didn't want to go through it. He didn't want to be beaten. He didn't want to be whipped. He didn't, he didn't want all the torture that was coming. He didn't want the shame. He despised the shame. But he still did it. Why? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross? And despise the shame. The joy was you. The joy was us. He looked down through time and he saw you and he saw me and he said, it's worth it. And he went through it because of us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. This is how we can run this race. No matter what comes our way, this is how we can run this race and not quit. Looking unto Jesus. Have you given your heart to Jesus? Have you committed your heart by faith to Christ? If you haven't, you can today. Those of you who are worshiping with us online this morning, you can give your heart to Christ. Those on all of our campuses and you are engaged in this service and today you could come to know Christ as your Savior. We call it the next step center where you take that next step for God. And maybe the next step is to give your heart to Christ. Maybe it's to join this church or whatever it is. Maybe it's just to have someone pray with you. The next step is the next step center. Online, on our campuses, opening up our heart and saying, God, here I am. I don't understand everything. I don't have the answers to everything. But I want you. And I'm asking you to change my life and help me to live this life in the best way possible. Would you pray with me? God, we come to you today and we ask that you would move in hearts today to say yes to Christ. That hearts today to say, oh God, I've walked away from you, but oh God, I walk back to you today. I open my heart. I have fallen down, but it is a marathon and I'll pick myself up and I'll dust myself off and I am going with you. God, move in hearts today to focus their lives knowing you, living life to its fullness, walking the path and fulfilling the mission of our lives, getting ready for heaven, running the race 
that you have set before us. Move in hearts today, Father, to renew their commitment to the race looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.